Hi, I'm Chris McIntosh. And I'm Ian McInnes. Welcome to Harp On It, a podcast where we meet to carry on the conversation started by our favorite artists. Chris and I think that one of the best aspects of music is the conversation it brings. And we plan to dig into the topics inspired by our favorite songs. Some of the songs that we address will be billboard hits, and some will be smaller cult favorites. But all of them have a story to tell. Ian and I plan on leaving no stone unturned as we take this journey. Thank you for joining us along the way, and we hope you enjoy. You can listen to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. And go ahead and follow us on all socials at Harp on It Podcast. And if you enjoyed the episode, please like, review, and share. All right, and welcome to the very first episode of the Harp on It Podcast. Can't believe we're finally here. Yeah. Um, I intentionally didn't ask you this prior to uh, recording because I wanted to get your honest take right here and then um, on the podcast about how do you feel? I feel good. I'm excited. Yeah? Something that uh, something that sounded fun when you brought it up, and I'm glad we've uh, put in the work and we're here now. Yeah, me too. I guess what, from your perspective, what is the reason for the podcast? I think for me personally, it's a lot of what we go over in the intro. This podcast is going to be about getting into the stories behind songs, maybe an artist's influences uh, societally and artistically, kind of what the thinking was, and if there was a societal move behind the song when they wrote it or composed it. I'm very uh, interested in seeing your take on a lot of the things that we bring up. You know, it's a pretty wide swath of topics I have in my head for perspective episodes, and I know you feel the same. So I'm excited to get into it and just explore this as we, you know, go down this road on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I feel, uh, I feel the same way. The, the cool thing about this idea is that I think tons of friends, just like you and me, have these types of conversations that are specifically, you know, brought up through music. Um, but I don't think it's something that's necessarily portrayed in media a lot but one of the coolest parts about music for me is the conversation that it starts like we say in the intro and you know and a lot of these artists create these songs with that in mind it's intentional and I think it's cool to celebrate that and I think you're very right that a lot of the times those intentional choices to make a song or for a specific verbiage in a song isn't necessarily portrayed a lot of the time and when CDs and vinyl was a little more popular. It was included in the liner notes, but we're really not seeing that anymore in a digital age where most of your music is being consumed through Spotify and uh, you know Apple Music and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see if we can uncover some things, especially in the more modern music that might have necessarily been lost in the way it was published. It is so funny that you brought up liner notes because it's actually in my notes. Uh, you'll see as I kind of go through my intro for this the song and giving context to the artist and the album, but that does kind of up, and uh, I don't know. I'm excited to get into it. So we did choose a topic for this week. I, I'm the one that chose the song and sort of defined the topic. Should we explain how we're going to go about this? I guess I'm just realizing we haven't really done that. Yeah, I was going to say, look, give them a general you know, way we're going to go about it, a general uh outline of what a podcast will look like obviously it'll change as we get into it but just a general what you can expect and how how you can expect these things to be explored yeah so basically the way we're going to go about this is that uh one of us is going to be the lead
need of the podcast. Um, uh, you know, and we'll we'll go back and forth. But essentially, that person will choose a song, and uh, they will also define a topic, a main message, or a question that is derived from that song. That they will then share that topic with the other podcast host. And throughout that week, we're going to think of stories, maybe other songs that are related to this topic, or just general statements or points of conversation that we can have throughout the week. But the other host will not know what the song is until we record. Um, so when we when we do get that song from the, the leader of the week, as Chris described it, it's going to be a genuine reaction to what to their inside thoughts, and that we don't know what the song is or even what the topic is until earlier in the week. Is I should say, we know the topic earlier in the week, but we don't know the song that the leader or host that week, main host that week, until uh, until we hear it here. So it's a genuine live reaction, and we have, like Chris said, our own thoughts on the general topics, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see how we react live. I think another thing that might be interesting, I mean, we'll see if it comes up, but if the leader of the week, you know, comes up with the song and they define the topic, but the other host completely disagrees <laughs> <laughs> that's what the artist was trying to get across in that message. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, any person can have any million ways to identify or, uh, you know, look at a song, so I'm definitely, it's an interesting topic as well. Yeah, so I and I'm very excited. This whole concept sounds cool to me, um, and I think the cool part of it as well is that I mean we're at least going to hit a few of people's classic favorite songs in here. Um, and, but there also might be songs that you've never heard of before that you might enjoy and uh, want to get to know the artists even further since they're kind of bringing forward this this conversation. So. Um, Without further ado, I think we should get into today's topic. Today's topic is, does wealth bring you happiness? So based on that topic, Ian, I want to ask you, do you have any guesses as to what the song is? I only really have one guess. I know you're a big Kendrick Lamar fan, so I would say Money Trees, although it's not necessarily derivative of the topic you have. Uh, it's just... Knowing what I know about you, I could see that coming up just based on the title. I have a general guess that might mimic what I chose as a song to retort yours or, uh, you know, meet yours. But I really don't want to say the guess because I don't want to <laughs> give away my reaction song yet. So I okay. think, I think that's uh, fair. I think it I'm... is. I can definitively say it's not Money Trees by Kendrick Lamar. Okay, I'm over one. I'll start I, keeping track. I mean, that might show up at some point. It's going to be hard to find a song from Kendrick Lamar uh, to talk about, but we'll figure it out eventually. Um, but no, it is not. Uh, this song is none other than Super Rich Kids by Frank Ocean. If you'd like to listen to the songs with us, then join us on Spotify for 30-second samples or join Spotify Premium to get the whole song. I know you're a large Frank Ocean fan, but I don't think I've ever heard this song, actually. (laughs) I realized that the other day when I brought up Frank Ocean and we talked about a couple songs, and then you specifically said I have not listened to him since that day. 
And I was like, oh, shit, I don't know if he actually knows this song. Yeah, we were on that drive to San Diego a couple months ago, and we were just going back and forth with songs, and you asked me if you were listening to Frank Ocean. And I said, not particularly. Then we played Spotify has that top five. We played the top five. I knew the top five. Number six, no idea. So I well, definitely correct. I, and I remember I specifically said, I, I think you know Frank Ocean. You might not know Frank Ocean, but you've heard Frank Ocean. He's popular enough. I should. Well, uh, yeah, that's the song of this week. All right. So before getting into uh, the conversation about the topic that I set up for us, um, I just wanted to give a little context of Frank Ocean's backstory as well as the preparation of this album, Channel Orange. So... Frank Ocean was born in Long Beach, California on October 28, 1987, and was given the name Christopher Edwin Bro. I'm convinced that anyone who listens to Frank Ocean's music feels some type of connection to him, but this new realization of our name similarity just validates those feelings even more for me. Thinking that his birth name wouldn't look great on magazine covers, he was inspired by the 1960 classic Ocean's Eleven whose lead was none other than Frank Sinatra. Frank Ocean moved to Los Angeles in 2006 in pursuit of a music career. With only three years of moving, um, with only, within only three years of moving, he had already established himself as a songwriter for a m- number of major artists under the name Lonnie Bro. Artists such as John Legend, Justin Bieber, Brandy, and Beyonce, just to name a few. In early 2009, he joined the new creative rap collective, Odd Future, which was composed of some big names such as Taco, Earl Sweatshirt, and the group lead, Tyler the Creator. Although they weren't big names then, Ocean was intrigued by their creativity, optimism, and DIY approach to music. Later in 2009, he met producer Tricky Stewart, who got him signed with Def Jam Records. Def Jam famously neglected Ocean, leaving him with the decision to create his own mixtape, which he later published online for free, giving us the incredible body of work, Nostalgia Nostalgia Ultra. It was at this point that Frank Ocean's talent had truly become undeniable to both Def Jam and the world. So at this point, Def Jam essentially, you know, they're forced to, you know, take this guy seriously. But up until that point, they had just shelved him, which is just an interesting backstory for any artist, I think. The context on Channel Orange is that Channel Orange was set to release in July of 2012. That year, it won the Grammy Award for the Best Progressive R&B Album. In the present day, Frank Ocean is known for defying all titles and genres. He can't be held down by a category, and this is directly correlated to his groundbreaking breaking innovation in music accompanied by visuals. His music is the perfect representation of who he is as a person. It's so rare that we get to experience an artist's untainted body of work just as they had wished it to come out. It's a true testament to the impact he has made in the industry, that everyone allows him the space to simply produce and write these masterpieces. From the public's perspective, he is defined by his art and nothing else. It's important that I reiterate that as a preface to this next snippet of history. Although it does not directly relate to our song song subject this week, I believe it's important context for this album as a whole. 
only six days prior to the release of Channel Orange, in an effort to control his own narrative, Frank Ocean posted on his Tumblr what is now referred to as the Open Letter, a document that was originally intended for the liner notes on the vinyl. In it, Ocean opens up and describes his first love when he was only 19. He writes, Four summers ago, I met somebody. I was 19 years old. He was too. Ocean goes on to beautifully describe his malignant love for his friend, as well as the heart-wrenching hurt that came from the other boy's rejection. The impact of this quote-unquote open letter was grandiose, perhaps even greater than he could have ever even imagined. Frank Ocean's sexuality is not something he's commented on much since, but it's really not important. In a sense, it needn't have been explained back then either. However, I think Frank knew that the world was not ready for such openness. Nor was the world ready for the expression of queer feelings in such frank terms, no pun intended. It stirred up conversations, which is the exact premise of this podcast, the idea that art and honesty will always inspire us to have discussions. This honest depiction was not something Ocean needed to do, but he chose to bring us into his world. Ocean then addresses his two albums in the letter. He continues by saying, I wanted to create worlds that were rosier than mine. I tried to channel overwhelming emotions. You see, Channel Orange did just that. The album is a collection of stories played out in each song, a concept album threaded together through the theme of flipping through channels on the TV. Ocean had created worlds in each song, and it couldn't have come from anywhere other than a place of true honesty. I think that's a very accurate perception that he's creating a world in each song just based on the song we just listened to. like I said, I think this is the first time I'd ever heard Super Rich Kids, but it's definitely painting a picture that you're explicitly seeing in your mind's eye, and it's a very interesting thing. Do you think that his uh, lack of attention from Def Jam went into the gap between his albums? I know that's a very common thought about Frank Ocean, is that each album has a lot of weight nowadays, since I think you said Channel Orange was released in 2012. What, what are your thoughts on that? It's really interesting that because it's been debated upon and the reason why there's not so much of a clear answer is because Frank Ocean really just takes a step back from the public eye. Like he comes out to release an album and, you know, I think on the last album he came out with, which was Blonde, he actually did some press touring a bit. And then since then, he hasn't really been back except for from what I'm aware of is this you know, infamous Coachella uh, concert. I don't know if you heard about that this past Coachella concert. Uh, it, you know, there's a bunch of drama that surrounded that, but it was yet a huge deal. Nobody cared because they were there to see Frank Ocean. He was here in the public eye. But Aziz Ansari, um, funnily enough, in his most recent special, he talks about talking with Frank Ocean. It's like, how can you afford to... Uh, spend so much time away from like the limelight and have so much time between your albums. He's like, man, you just got to get comfortable with not making as much money. <laughs> that was pretty much his response. Very interesting in the, in the light of the topic we have. Does he tour these albums at all? Or just uh, not really? He's studio releases only. I'm unfamiliar with his body of work, you know, publicly. So I think he used to tour more than he 
does. And I know that in the last album, he did some shows. And I think even before his last album came out, between that gap of like four years, he did do some shows and even actually performed some of the songs on his most recent album. Um, but it's not traditional of like what we think, like, you know, Taylor Swift, who's doing like hundreds of shows yeah, around. Do. I mean, that's an extreme example. She'll but. do a dozen shows in one city. But uh, yeah. yeah, I was just curious. I'm sure that the commercial successes of his studio releases allow the record label, or allow him from the record label, I should say, a little more freedom. You know, kind of the same treatment he got from Def Jam, it seems, in the beginning, but this time it's on his terms. Exactly. So. I, I saw a, a YouTuber online talking about um, his theory of why Frank Ocean, or how he's able to and why he doesn't. I mean, it, it seems like he's not really after the limelight. He really is an artist that's just focused on the art and what it produces and how great it sounds. But his ability to is goes back to his experience uh, writing for other artists. I, th I think he made quite a bit of money off of that. Yeah, I know that if you're getting the song credits or the writing credits, that gets you a lot of the commercial, you know, a lot of the funds from seeing those. And I know that a lot of the names you gave, John Legend and Beyonce, just to cut back and name a few, those yeah. are large artists. It's not you and I releasing an album. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. When I saw that, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> like, yeah, didn't know that. Gotta uh, get a start somewhere. Yeah. So uh, back to what your other point as well about uh, his, him creating a world even in the song. It, it's a really interesting song. Um, Super Rich Kids describes a day in the life of a boy born into wealth. The braggadocious nature of the song gives the listener the initial impression that the boy's life is happy free from restraints of career stress or general responsibilities for that matter. Yet, as the song goes on and we the listener read between the lines, we see a life that's empty, a life that's lonely. We see a boy that uses drugs, material luxuries, and TV in effort to find fulfillment and company. What it really comes down to is that he's in search of quote-unquote real love. Um, and there are some great lines in the song that I have to point out. So the first one being, um, too many bottles of this wine we can't pronounce, too many bowls of that green, no lucky charms. So he starts by describing a presumably large amount of wine this boy has consumed. Wines with the boy cannot pronounce, but consumes for the hell of it anyways, implying that the boy is abusing it in excess and is not fully appreciating it. Then there's a clever play on words describing that sounds like a bowl of cereal at first listen, um, alluding to the boy's youthful nature. However, with the removal of Lucky Charms, we realize the implication of a bowl of wheat. This is later corroborated with the line, start my day up on the roof, there's nothing like this type of view, a clear metaphor for starting his day off high. So the, the song, it, it's kind of incredible how right away he's able to kind of just create this narrative about this, you know, uh, hypothetical boy that he's, you know, formed in the song. I think getting back to that, the wine they can't pronounce, in the excess, like you said, but then as well, it's alluding to the fact that perhaps the wine is from a, you know, from an, a foreign source, you know, just 
viewing this from a United States perspective is that it's a you know a French wine or an Italian wine, something that is a little more costly than something you'd get from a local producer. So he, it, he's drinking in excess, and then also really isn't appreciating the quality of what he's using. He just is uh, you know spending to spend in materialism. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and that I mean it's just a clever way to to describe it in such a short period of time. Um, so next. Next line I wanted to point out is, he says, uh, point the clicker at the tube. I prefer expensive news. New car, new girl, new ice, new glass, new watch. Good times, babe. It's good times. Um, Frank Ocean again hits us with a misdirection. Initially, we assume Ocean is referring to the broadcast news on TV, but he goes on to list the boys' quote-unquote new material items. Keeping with the TV theme, he describes his new watch as Good Times, of course, all refer also referring to the show Good Times, a 70s show depicting a poor African-American family living in the projects in inner-city Chicago, a comparison that provides a bleak contrast between both circumstances. Again, just pointing towards his wealth, his just excess time, and, you know, consuming media of another family that's less fortunate than him. That's a good point about the good times. Uh, obviously, I'm familiar with the television show, but I didn't read it that way or listen to it that way on the first listen through a few moments ago. So just it's painting the dichotomy of the wealth that exists, you know, especially through a modern lens. Looking back at that, it's just gotten worse. So it's, it's very interesting the way he does that without, really, without me really knowing. Yeah. And if you listen close, there's actually... I didn't learn this. It's just through research that I did on the song is that there's actually um, one of the classic catchphrases from one of the characters on that show is dynamite and if you listen you hear that sound bite uh, sampled in there. Um, so the final line that I want to go through that I mean I'm not tackling Earl Sweatshirt's uh, you know whole rap verse which is incredible of its own right but um, I want to focus on this last line is we end our day up on the roof. I say I'll jump, I never do. But when I'm drunk, I act the fool. Talking about, do they sew wings on tailored suits? I'm on that ledge. She grabs my arm. She slaps my head. It's good times. Sleeve rips off. I slip and fall. The market's down like 60 stories. So the boy is back up on the roof, presumably with his girl. We don't know if he's still high or high again, but um. He shares what sounds like suicidal thoughts that the boy never acts on. The line, do they sew wings on tailored suits, has two possible meanings. The first, a question of whether or not angels look out for the wealthy. The song challenges the listener to contemplate if the wealthy deserve our sympathy. In the context of a child born into wealth, do they not deserve the same compassion granted to a child born into poverty? The second question it perhaps poses is, can the wealthy gain entry into heaven? This religious overtone would make sense coming from Frank Ocean. The answer to the first question, according to Ocean, is a resounding no, as the boy's tailored suit rips, sending the boy plummeting to his death, suggesting that in the end, not only did the boy's wealth mean nothing, but it was actually the cause of his ultimate demise. I think the reading it as suicidal thoughts or listening to it as suicidal thoughts, like you said, kind of brings it around to the end of the first verse or the chorus as we understand it to be later. 
It's a uh, parents ain't around enough, super rich kids with nothing but fake friends. You know, just material wealth doesn't necessarily mean that you have everything. Obviously, you have material, everything you need, and all the cares in the world are really out there. Like you said, no career, no uh, no anything really going on that way, but it, it's still lonely. It's a lonely life at the top. And, you know, he doesn't have anything to do on a day-to-day -day basis, but that lack of structure and that lack of purpose seems to end up, you know, pushing him over the edge. Right. So I came up with the topic of does wealth bring you happiness, which I think we can have a good conversation about. Um, I think what Frank is really asking here is, uh, you know, why is it that instinctively sometimes we don't grant the same sympathy for uh, children especially that are born into wealth? Like, why is that? Did you grow up with... Uh, any like friends or kids that were like pretty ridiculously wealthy or I think every neighborhood kind of had that family or that group of families that was on the outside on the edge uh, usually by their own choice they'd associate amongst themselves you know the country clubs and the yacht clubs and things like that but I do think that we granted them less of a less gratuity when it came to you know a slow start in life or anything like that because they have everything they could possibly need like Fra like Frank says you know it's almost too much but they have every head start that they could need that perhaps the same child that comes from a lesser background, given those resources, could, you know, excel. You know, there's lessons to be learned through struggles, and not having money is definitely worse than having money. It obviously brings a level of comfort that you really can't get without. But there is something to be said about the struggle of consistently, or the, uh, the lessons that you learn consistently having to live within your means. Yeah, for sure. I... When, when I was growing up in elementary school, there was a, one, one of my best friends, he, you know, I always loved going over to his house. I actually loved going over to most friends' houses because I had little brothers and I just, you know, didn't want to be bothered. My friends had video games. I didn't have video games when I was younger. But his house was one of the more fun homes to go to because he just, he was decked out with everything a child could have ever imagined, you know, what, whatever they wanted. And let me ask you this, did he always seem bored with his toys and things like that? Because he, he almost had too yeah, much. Yeah, he did. He did. And But it, it's, I mean, this is kind of a sad reality, but what I didn't realize at, the, at that time was that his parents were splitting up. And at, at the time, he was, you know, getting a lot of gifts that, um, you know, it, it was kind of like, we're, you know, the sympathy of, like, we're so sorry, here's a new video game. Trying to buy the son's love. Yeah, and I don't, you know, I, obviously I never talked to the parents about it, I just, this is all contextual, kind of hearing more about the situation, because I was just a dumb, oblivious kid Looking at the at time. Looking at adult lens. You know, my parents giving me, you know, a little more context, just realizing, like, you know, he, he, like, he had the brand new iPhone when it first ever came out, you know that type of thing where like oh dude you're you're the coolest and it's not that he wasn't cool he's very cool but just you know this realization like oh it's not everything you know yeah it can't buy you everything it can buy you almost everything but uh, uh time old saying that money can't buy happiness you know at a certain point i think it's uh, childish to say that it can't because it can you know everyone that everyone grows up wanting you know like you said the iphone when you're a kid you know i never had that till i bought it with my own money things like that so it, you always want more, but then you hit a certain age, and that really plays in. You know that it 
it can't buy everything. It can buy happiness at a certain point, but that's more of a material happiness that kind of Frank is talking about in that song. Yeah, 100%. So before we get into like a full conversation about this, I mean, I think we're already getting started naturally. You said, you mentioned that you had a song in mind that's sort of related to this topic. I'm very curious to hear what that is. Yeah, I definitely do. I was kind of scared that you would have chose it, but it's actually a... an older one, you know, I, I'd usually skew a little older on the music I listen to, but it's, uh, I chose For the Love of Money by the OJs. You know, if you go through the lyrics, it kind of paints the other half of that picture, the greed and everything like that. Very similar tones to what Frank is discussing. It's, it's through an almost negative lens. But if you go through that song, it's the things that people will do for money. and It's just consistently being the greed causing dastardly actions. You know, it's that two-edged sword that you see having too much, and then for the love of money and the OJs are saying more on the other half, where they're fighting for even the smallest scrap. And uh, we'll give it a listen now. I don't know if Chris is familiar with it, and then we'll uh, circle back. I was just going to say, I, I bet if I listen to it, I know what you're talking about, but I, I don't. I have no idea. So. Yeah, I have some specific lines that I was going to reference, but I want Chris's general reaction on listening to it, and then we'll uh, come back. I mean, you could just sing a little bit of it. I cannot say, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll listen. All right, Chris, uh, now that you've heard it, I yeah, I'm sure you've heard it before, which, because uh, kind of funnily, it, it was the Apprentice theme song, which in the light of the song and in the light of everything that's happened over the last six years with the old host of The Apprentice, it's kind of funny that that was the chosen theme. But uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on it in the, in the light of Super Rich Kids that we chose as the leader song of the episode? I mean, I think it's a great choice. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, I, I haven't really paid attention to the... Yeah, yeah give yourself a round of applause. Um, I haven't really paid attention to the lyrics of the song before, um, so it's interesting that you bring that up. Uh, so I, I'm excited to kind of dive into it a little bit, but I think it was a good choice. What's funny is that, yeah, I do know that song, uh, specifically from being the theme song for The Apprentice. <laughs> And every time my wife, you know, I, I, every once in a while, back when we watched that show, again, given the context today, <laughs> don't watch it now, but um, every time I see my wife, I'd be like, money, money, money. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest, I kind of started just uh, when you gave me the topic wealth and just happiness in general, uh, I really started on a pretty basic level and just said songs about money. I love the OJs, um, very poignant music, and now we know lyrics as well. But I started here, and I started listening to them in the song. I think I was on my way to Home Depot or the grocery store, and I just gave myself 30 minutes to really listen to a couple of them that I had chosen just by myself. And I really started to listen to what they had to say in the song, and I thought that I don't need to listen to any more songs. This is, a, this is exactly what I really want. It starts out, you know, with, like you just said, the money, money, money lyric at the beginning, it's, it starts out almost, they sing a little happier at the beginning, and then uh, some people really got to have it, some people really need it. Obviously, we all need money in a capitalistic society, but as the song goes on, it gets progressively darker. Um, you can say there's the lines where they don't, people are afraid to leave their houses. You don't know who in the world they're going to beat for that lean, mean, mean, green, almighty dollar money. There's a woman selling her precious body. There's uh, people robbing their mothers and their brothers, all for that almighty dollar. And then they really wrap it up at the end in a very poignant way where it says, uh, people, don't let that money, don't let that money change you. 
and I think that pursuit of money that they're describing becomes almost a uh, almost the path that certain people take in their life. Doesn't matter what, doesn't matter who they hurt in the path or what happens. They the accumulation of wealth seems to become the only driving force in their life. I think there's a lot of people that we can think of off the top of our head, uh, both in like celebrities and things like that, people in the media and also in our own life that you've uh, almost been cast aside in the pursuit of money. Obviously, everyone needs to do what's best for them, but it seems that a lot of the time it ends up, you know, not being necessary, especially once you reach a certain point of money. So I, I just find that very poignant in the comparison of the super rich kids where it's kind of the other half of that coin, where it's someone that was given everything their entire life outside of maybe that parental love and that uh, affection from their peers, where everyone's really only with them for that money. And it kind of casts back to the OJ song where that might be something that someone's doing for the money. You know, maybe the maybe the fake friends that Frank Ocean is describing hate themselves every day when they go home because they can't believe I'm hanging out with someone this vain or this, uh, you know, collected. But at the same time, you know, I'm going to do it tomorrow. You know, I'm going to be in this person's posse. You know, I think you saw that a lot in like the 80s and 90s with a lot of the original rap groups where the artists would have a posse of two, 300 people. You know, I'm sure that's an exaggeration. I'm just, I've just heard media stories where they would just, uh, they'd end up paying for everybody, and then the artist would end up broke just because everyone's clinging mm-hmm. on, just in that pursuit of money. That, that was actually one of the reasons uh, Frank Ocean left LA for a little bit. He went to move, he moved over to London for a bit to live over there. He felt, you know, suffocated in uh, LA. When one of his songs uh, in his new album, Blonde. He kind of refers to his house kind of being on fire, um, and he felt like he had to leave. He felt like people may be stealing from him, like people close to him, which is a sad realization that, unfortunately, I think, like you said, a lot of artists experience, because they're dealing with all this fame and wealth, um, but um, the people around them don't necessarily know how to handle themselves. Um, So, but it's... uh, yeah, it's almost like a trope nowadays with the posse, like I said, and then also where someone someone young, like let's say if this happened to Frank when he was 19, when he came to L.A. and started writing and then eventually released his first album, where you hire someone in your family as your manager, and then it ends up, okay, uh, Uncle Tom is, uh, or Uncle Frank, whoever it may be, is really good with money. He's the one in my life that I ask for money, you know, uh, advice on stuff like that, so... I'm going to hire him to be my manager, and they end up embezzling almost all of their money, you know, and end up going to prison and things like that. It's, it's almost a trope, like I said, so it's interesting to, to get into that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so that, that's a sad reality for an artist. Um, I like how that song really deals with the everyday man as well, the song that you just brought up. I mean, we can even think of, you know, we don't need to discuss them, but we can think of, like, uh, situations that aren't too far removed from ourselves, like in our family or friends, where you know money has drawn a huge wedge between either two people, or it's caused like legality issues or whatnot. So it really is this question of like, what is the right amount of money? Um, what is too much money? What isn't enough? You know, how do we share sympathy for uh, other? people that are in different situations, how do we tackle that? Because the question, like I said, that Frank Ocean really poses is, you know, do rich kids not deserve sympathy as well? Do they not deserve, you know, this type of 
compassion because I think it is this inherent feeling that a lot of us feel of like, oh, you know, this celebrity is complaining how they don't have privacy or they don't, you know, and it's like, should we show sympathy to them or, you know, like, why do we have this natural reaction to be like, come on, like, you have the best life or whatever. I think that's something that, it's a very pointed thought, I think that's something that we saw happen in COVID where you saw the celebrities on the internet, everyone was using social media much more heavily than normal, and or depending on who you are, I suppose, but just to stay in contact because you were staying indoors at the beginning. You didn't, we knew nothing about the disease. And then there was the celebrities posting videos from their grotto or from their 10,000 acre backyard. The Imagine saying, song. Yeah, we have to, st- we ha- everyone stay inside and stay strong. They have, at one point, you know, they have enough money to not go outside and not go to work where a lot of Americans, a lot of people around the world who they referred to as essential workers that couldn't, you know, transition a corporate role into a work from home environment had to go to work every day just because they, one, there might be too many people in the house or they needed still, rent still due on Monday, you know. So it, it's just painted how out of touch some of them can be. And I, it's not necessarily the inequality with wealth that exists in the world isn't necessarily that we, or not necessarily, it's definitely something we know we can't handle or uh, fix. You know, the smartest economists in the world can't fix it. But it's just important that as we work through ourselves and, you know, in a personal and in, emotional environment that we need to just understand it is an issue, you know, and, and understand, like we were saying, the sympathy and everything that Chris was uh, referring to. Yeah, I, so here's something interesting, is, and I don't have in front of me exactly what year uh, this was, uh, you know, decided, but there, there was a specific study that was done on what is, um, a, the, what is the sweet spot for wealth, like as far as, you know, you know, tax bracket type thing. You're comfortable, you know. Exactly. Where you're comfortable. So the 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 study um, showed that there is a sweet spot of wealth that someone can have, and if you move too far beyond that, and you know, earning more money in a year, um, it started to have the reverse effect. Actually, that more money eventually cause more problems. Now, this is an average across the United States, and this may have been done, you know, maybe up to like three or four years ago. So things have changed, but can you guess what that average salary, or I think average income was? Yearly income yeah. is what you're asking? I think I've heard that. I've never read the study. Yeah, I'm not reading studies for fun. But uh, just through university and I think just general media, I think the number was 75000 Yeah, you got it. The statistics kid comes in again with the exact number, $75,000. Which now, I would say in California, I mean, I think it's probably should be higher. It's going to be higher. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that would be, uh, I think that'd be a relatively comfortable, relatively comfortable amount of money for no dependence, you know, general health. Uh, able to still save, able to travel and things like that, but it really depends, especially now with rampant inflation, you know, obviously that would change, but it's uh, it's definitely lower than one would expect, but I think you're going to receive a lot of, not backlash, we're not going to receive backlash for it, we're not the ones that wrote the study, but I think a lot of people will say, you know, everyone always dreams of winning the lottery, saying, oh, if I just had a $10 million, you know, I'd be way happier, 
but I think uh, now speaking about the lottery, I think that always brings people out of the woodwork. You know, everyone wants a favor. Everyone's always asking mm -hmm. something from you. So I think that leans into the term or the point you were just saying, and that there is it does eventually equal a point of lesser return where you are receiving less like physical stress from you know paying your bills on time and everything like that. But then there might bring more emotional stress where all of a sudden people are dependent on you if you do let them into that and it leads to a lot of people i'll use the lottery again as an example by you know going on when they i don't know if california does this but i've seen the you know nevada powerball and things like that where the person goes on tv to receive the check and they're wearing a mask because they don't want anyone to know that oh i just want a hundred million dollars really you know? and then they just that. disappear yeah i i, I mean I, that's smart yeah you gotta at a certain point anonymity but uh because all of a sudden you become like the Frank Ocean of your community. The yeah. people that know you, like, oh, this guy is a big shot. Let's, uh, you know, I'd like some of that. What do they do to earn it? Literally nothing. They just bought a, a ticket, right? Yes. Yeah. The, the, the thought process that I can imagine a lot of people have. Yeah, and maybe even I deserve a piece of that because I, you know, I gave them a stick of gum on the bus in seventh grade or something of that nature so it's interesting <laughs> yeah. you know people will justify it however however they need to but uh it definitely adds there there's this question that i've thought of a lot that isn't the same but i think it directly correlates with this is this idea of like what your ideal like end goal is like what an achievement is because if you set goal to um I don't know, work your way up in a company and be like upper management or partner. Like, so you're saying like realistic, realistic goal of uh, yeah. accumulation. I think what a lot of people deal with um, is, you know, once they reach that goal, it's like, what now? What, what do I have to strive for or live for at this point? Because you enjoy it for a bit and then it's like, now I need to find a new goal. And it's this kind of existential feeling of like, is it ever going to be enough? I can imagine it's, you know, similar to when you have like $10 million just to spend. And you start spending it and it's like, this isn't what I thought it was because I still have the same issues that I had before. You know, some of the, you know, some of the bills they're stacking up, I'm able to pay. So that's great. But you're still the same person. You're you're surrounded by the same people. You know, you, you whatever issues you had back then, you're gonna deal with now. I think actually, and you know, back to music. Interesting interview with uh, Billie Eilish. I think it was on Conan O'Brien or something like that, where she was talking about how she hit it big so early. You know, she's still only like I don't know, maybe like twenty three, twenty four. And she's yeah, and she's done stadiums like multiple nights in a row. Just a crazy, crazy career already, and she's only at the beginning of her life. Like, the, how how could she go higher? You know, how could she climb higher? Like that that's that's it. And it's not to say that her career is ending. That by no means at all, because she's a superstar. But how could she possibly exceed that? You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and it's it kind of paints it in the light of how do you stay well-adjusted. From her response, you know, I'm not very familiar with Billie Eilish or her work, but from her response, it seems that she's going to try and stay well-adjusted, where you really don't start to lean into the accumulation and, you know, the way it makes you act. Everyone knows the spoiled rich kid, you know, it's, it's, 
speak super rich kids, <laughs> Frank Ocean. But uh, everyone kind of leans into that. But it's kind of the same as when child stars, you know, they're getting paid less than we think they are as kids. But uh, the most popular children's stars in the world end up, you know, off the rails. Like uh, Amanda Bynes is an example, and then uh, Britney Spears as well with the conservatorship, you know, however your or whatever your thoughts are on that. But you end up a little loose in the head. You know, they seem whether they have psychotic breaks or whether they're just really wacky. It seems that something's always off by hitting the pinnacle of what an average person would consider fame and wealth at such a young age, you know, what what do you have to work for still? There's still a lot to work for, and there's a lot you can do with that money, but it's just an interesting thing to think of in comparison to what the average person does on a day-to-day basis of waking up, going to work, and continuing to save if you can, or just, you know, scratch yeah. by paycheck to paycheck. 100%. I mean, that's a good point. The, uh, whether it be external factors or, you know, you know, things that happen that are out of these, you know, these celebrities' control with family members or just acting strange um there is there is definitely a correlation with you know someone who is just hits a big with wealth from the beginning and you know yeah goes a, a little off the rails lose their piece of reality almost yeah 100 percent. i did actually think of another song um that related to this song that like i can't help but think of this song when I listen to Super Rich Kids. Is it another Frank Ocean song? No, it's not <laughs> another Frank Ocean song. It's another one of my favorite artists, and it's Childish Gambino, Sweatpants. Okay. Have you heard this song? Let's give it a listen. All right. So, in my opinion, Gambino took a similar approach to his album because the internet. This was a world he created, a narrative following a boy born into wealth with a deceased mother and father, Rick Ross. It's a very strange narrative that he compiled with this album. The album was accompanied by a screenplay as well as a website and additional artwork. The song Sweatpants similarly follows a boy personifying the classic rich kid braggadocious exterior while simultaneously toiling with his existential thoughts. I won't do a deep analysis on the song, but Gambino informs us of his angst in the first line. Uh, quote, Watching haters wonder why Gambino got the game locked. Quote, um, of course, sounds like another blowhard statement at first listen. With that said, keeping with the album's theme, Locked also refers to the boy's dread towards feeling stuck in an insignificant existence. Later in the track, Gambino makes a reference to Charlie Sheen's infamous interview with ABC's 2020 during his meltdown. The concept behind sweatpants is this theory that rich people can go wherever they want wearing sweatpants or casual clothing. Gambino, in an interview, said rich people get to wear whatever the hell they want. It's a type of luxury afforded to the rich in which comfort follows them. Um, yet, as the song goes on, we can feel Gambino's anxiety rising, and his discomfort becomes more and more apparent, until finally he erupts with anger at the climax of the song, where he says, I don't give a fuck about my family name, and he slams the table. Um, and I think if you watch that music video, you can see the angst starting to build as... Um, He's in a diner, and if you don't know the music video, he walks into a diner, he sits down with his friends, 
he walks out to text someone, he walks back through a different door, and he ends up going through the same door, but at this point, his friends at the table all have his face CGI'd, you know, onto the body. Um, again, it's a loop, he leaves the restaurant, texts somebody, comes back through that door, but comes back through the original door. Now everyone has his face. And it's just this weird of like existential theme uh, crawling in. And actually, for Gambino's you know song, he's dealing with a lot of like racial issues and a lot of things that you know backlash and like hateful comments that he's had to deal with in his career. Again, this idea that wealth isn't everything; it doesn't protect you from everything that's going on. Um, you can still have to deal with the harsh realities of life and the, you know, exterior community. I think Childs of Gambino, Donald Glover, is very similar to Frank Ocean releasing albums every four or five years in that he's kind of done artistically what he wanted. You know, everyone, a lot of people know him from Community, the show Atlanta that he produces and is on, and then his rap career as well. He kind of does a little bit of everything, modern-day renaissance man, but he does what he wants, and he makes sure that it's on his own terms, from what I understand about him. Going into the song, I did find the adding DJ Khaled line in there, just because DJ Khaled is kind of a personification of modern wealth, and that what a lot of people know him from is saying his own name in every single song, and then also just the most opulent YouTube videos where it's just him eating seafood and then yelling what the chef brings him. (laughs) Or him getting lost on a jet ski just in the middle of nowhere, probably on like a Tuesday afternoon. It's yeah. just, it, you know, it just it personifies that modern day wealth and almost the accumulation of too much. Not too much, but, you know, I'll, more than one theoretically could need. It's funny, because now that you say that, there is a viral video that just was going around lately. I don't know if it's an old video, but I just saw it like a couple of weeks ago. But you're talking about during COVID where, you know, all these celebrities are saying, we just need to be, like, together but apart or whatever. There's this video of DJ Khaled I, walking around what I presume to be his backyard of, like, his mansion. And he has this big-ass statue of two hands just cupping each other. And he, all he's doing in the video is, like, we're stronger. puts his hands together. And he's like, together we're stronger. Together. The, the, the camera pans and you see his house and you see like his hedges and it's all beautifully cut and he's walking around with like this you know very loud clothing he's like together and then they go to another area where you see the scenic view and he's like together it's like dude what are you what reality are you living in because it's not the reality all of us are living in you know <laughs> And I haven't seen that video. I'll have to watch it after this. But it is kind of funny that you're saying during COVID he still had manicured hedges and everything like that. Insti- mm. Instigating that he is still expecting and paying for services, you know, for people to come to his house and still take care of his lawn and take care of him and everything like that. Although, you know, the general message he's trying to say is we got to stay together by staying apart. Yeah. Well, I, I think the message is there. Just to clarify, I don't know if that video is during COVID. I was referring to the other video of, like, imagine song but i mean it's the same message of just like here i am here's my life and i mean there's part of that's kind of like cool but the whole like together thing is like with who like your other rich (laughs) friends not with us not with me behind the gate are you inviting me like what's going on here but yeah it's just a funny yeah it's so it's funny you brought that up but yeah so i 
there's a reason I chose a song um, as far as you know a reference to the original Frank Ocean Super Rich Kid song is just again that wealth isn't necessarily everything. It can't protect you from all external factors that we go through in life, and it's not. It is, their their argument is that this extreme amount of wealth is not necessarily going to bring you happiness. Um, which again is an interesting point to make from the perspective of someone who does have a lot of wealth and kind of can live the life that they want to live. Um, but again, is there not like in you, is there not like this internal like battle of just like, but yeah, but like you do have all that, you know, you know, and you're like trying to say, oh no, it's really not that great. But it's like wanting that it's like, it's a whole different perspective. And I think that's the battle that we deal with here. You can see, especially with artists, you know, presumably we don't know how much these artists make, but more than us, you know, so yeah. it's, it seems a little hypocritical to be taking lessons from a Frank Ocean or a Donald Glover where they're saying, all right, well, having this much money is miserable. I think the super rich kids is a, is a very good look at it, where if you're not the one that worked for it, perhaps you have less of a context on what it's like. So it, you just always have money. You know, there's no fall from grace or anything. Everything's just handed to you. But like I said, it is kind of hypocritical to see, you know, them trying to teach us what we should and shouldn't be thinking about money from those that have more than we could even theoretically imagine. For sure. And I know that there, there have been a lot of people who have uh, had discussions about this topic where, you know, they share that they were, you know, the quote unquote super rich kid growing up and they had to deal with the, the, the pressure from their parents to become something specific. Um, that they, they had to deal with, you know, this, you know, this lifestyle that was very, uh, it, it wasn't necessarily up to them how they live their life because there's so many eyes on them. You know, the pressures of uh, adhering to the patriarch of the family and, like, all that. Those those type of um, uh, dynamics existed in their life for as long as they had remembered, and it really brought them down a hard path. So I, I can relate to that that sentiment for sure. I think your last point is a good personification of what we were kind of talking about earlier, where money doesn't solve all issues, it just kind of potentially brings in more. Where, like you were saying, the kids that grew up a little more affluent than we're expecting, you know, an average person to grow up as, it just replaces the issues with, uh, it could be loneliness like in super rich kids, or expectations from the overachieving families that have like a lineage of all being lawyers that went to Harvard or something like that. So it just kind of, it just juxtaposes your issues. You know, us at the lower end of the spectrum, we're worried about getting our bills paid on time, you know, making sure rent is made and things like that. And then as you scale into the middle, like we were talking about, potentially that's like the, maybe the golden point, I don't know, but, uh, or the happy point, whatever you want to say. And then as you kind of scale on the other side of the bell curve, where it's like, all right, now I'm not worried about where my next paycheck's coming from. I'm not paycheck to paycheck. But I am, you know, worried about how I make my family look in the media, perhaps, if you're a celebrity, or how I make my family or my father react to me, you know? If I, if unless I am that lawyer that goes to Harvard, will I receive love from the patriarch or the matriarch of the family? It just kind of changes the issues that you're theoretically going to experience on a day-to-day. Yeah, absolutely. And there's this, uh, this idea that 
you know, unfortunately, we specifically speaking of the United States, I do believe that there are certain, you know, uh, rights that I think should be attributed to everyone that people shouldn't have to worry about health care, people shouldn't have to worry about certain things in our society, and unfortunately we have to, right? And not everyone is granted the same type of opportunities or, you know, social standing from the get-go, and that is an unfortunate part of our of, of life, part of reality that we have to still deal with and have conversations about. I do think that, for me, my ultimate conclusion is that you have to find happiness wherever you're at, regardless. Is that if happiness is what you are pursuing, you have to find a way to be happy wherever you're at. Because it, it, given my you know circumstances, whatever I might be dealing with, financially or you know income for the year you know anything could happen honestly uh ultimate through line but i think that regardless of where you're at you have to find a way to be happy and then some of it is just finding hobbies some of it is the people that you surround yourself with do you enjoy being with them the things that you are spending your time and effort on, are those the things that are ultimately bringing you happiness, or do you need to pivot? Those are the things you need to decide. But, you know, we have seen so many stories of people at the quote-unquote top that talk about just how lonely they are, or how difficult this ex existential dread was affecting them. And I think Frank Ocean touches on that, where he's using substance and materialism to distract himself from the amount of fake friends, quote-unquote, that he has, or the lack of attention from his, uh, I think his father, parents, is a bold one, so. Exactly. Like, you could be looking in the wrong places, but you have to figure out what those things are for you. And ultimately, you know, everyone needs a little money in their life, but ultimately that's not the thing that's going to bring you happiness because you have to figure out what truly makes you happy first. Yeah, I think at any level, you know, at a certain point, money is the only thing that will give you happiness if you are struggling paycheck to paycheck. But mm -hmm. once you hit that comfortable level where you're uh, able to, you know, potentially save a little more or at least survive, I do agree that you have to, you know, find ways to keep happiness in your life, whether it is the company you keep or, like you said, the hobbies you do. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a great place to end. Yeah, I think I think we could uh, continue to dive into the dichotomy of money and the inequality that exists in the world, but I think we're a little underqualified, and I think we'll wrap it up when, <laughs> when we're still a little bit applicable. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. All right, so that was our episode for this week. Thank you guys so much for uh, joining us on this experience. I thought it went well. What do you think, Ian? I'd say we had a pretty point in conversation. I feel good about what we had to say and how we threaded it through all three songs super rich kid by frank ocean for the love of money by the ojs and sweatpants by childish gambino we all each had their own independent way that it related to our overall theme although we kind of did tell the same thread we agreed on what we were trying to say and what conversation we were having with the music which is a, a good way to wrap it all up yeah absolutely well, again, thank you guys so much for joining us. If you liked the episode, please feel free to share it. Leave us a review. That will be huge for us, you know, starting on our new episode. No audience. Um, we'd love to see this thing grow, but ultimately, I just really enjoyed talking with you, Ian. I think it was a great podcast, and um, we'll see you guys next time.